Well, thank you, Adam. We thank God for your testimony. We thank Christ for sovereignly saving you and allowing you to be here to fellowship with us and to grow together and exalt Christ together, um, Lord will, the rest of our lives. Uh, we um, I've received some reports from Czech Republic, from Daniel, who wrote to us and wrote to me at the Huey. I just didn't have time to put it on online for us on the website. We'll be doing that soon so that all of you could read it. They returned from camp, um, as Pastor Jason said. We had few people who professed Christ and very many people who um, were interested in Bible studies. The ministry is going forward. They said also, as any situation when the gospel is preached and proclaimed, that um, some people are receptive and many have rejected as well. But that's par for the course. That's how the gospel message is it is foolishness to some people, but it is a very life for many. And Kazakhstan team, they got there 5.30 a.m. Sunday morning. They cleaned up themselves and went to church by 9 o'clock at service. They had three testimonies, salvation testimonies, and um, they will be having baptism this week. So they had a full day of ministry. So it takes about 24 hours to get there with all the delay on uh, lag time between airports and to get to Almaty and they are there ministering, so and they're very tired, but Reuben said they're spiritually, they're doing well. And the OC team, you know, I was able to join them for a couple hours this week, you know, and uh, yesterday they culminated into, um, we had a barbecue, fed people, we had about a dozen um, people come out, uh, people who have guests we have invited, they joined us, and it was a small group, and it reminded me when Cornerstone first started. It was about that size, and Joshua... Lee gave his testimony, and um, Pastor Marcus preached uh, preached the word, and it was thoroughly blessing to see our men and women here and afar, and doing the work of the gospel. And uh, tomorrow the VBS begins. It's truly, um, you know, ministries. We're not holding down for it. We're not holding down for the rest of the team to go come back. We're going forward doing ministry, and everybody's working hard. And I saw the diligent work that OC team is doing. I spoke to one sister yesterday who's been on foreign missions. He said, this is the best missions team she's been on. And that he would encourage. Because you go to foreign countries, you're kind of shielded because your, your excuse is you don't speak the language. You can sit on, sit on a street corner. Here you have no excuse. You have people, lost people all over the place. So you could be ministering literally constantly. So it, it really puts you to the test. So if you really want to grow, really stretch for Christ and and Adam talked about self-dependency. To depend on Christ and trust Christ in the gospel message, be on the OC team next year. It'll really help people grow. I think I thank God for all the men and women who served there, who worked tirelessly, morning and night. Only time they got a break was pretty much eating time, and they worked and worked. And we thank God for you. Uh, whatever fruits come by, it is by grace of God. It is not up to us, nor we can't ever save people. Only thing we do is obey it is sharing the gospel is a vertical thing. It's not a horizontal thing. We're not responsible for people's lives. We are responsible to be faithful to the gospel message. And we thank God for the Orange County team and all of you. I was thoroughly blessed by all of you. And let's keep, um, keep our Czech team and Kazakhstan team in our prayers. Well, today um, I want to talk to you about a very important topic. It's a pH scale. Um, pH scale measures how acidic or alkaline 
like a chemical, water, even soil, or even the, the, the liquid content in your stomach. They say if your pH level is about 1 to 3, it's very acidic. They say it's like lemon. You know, if you chew on lemon for a long time, I think you doctors know this, right? Or those of us who are paid, paid attention in our chemistry classes, you could eat away your enamel and it'll eat away, away at your teeth. It's not very good. It'll just dissolve it over a long period of time. So the solution is pH scale is about one, about one. It's really strong enough to put a hole through your fabric, injure eyes, and seriously irritate skin. The tap water on the pH scale is about seven, right? So that's about neutral. You could drink it, and it is okay. So in our stomach, the pH level, we have acid. So when we eat, or some of us who eat a lot, there's more acid than that requires to break down food so that it would go on to the rest of our body, and it's designed like that. They say our small intestine, the pH level is about eight in that area. Why am I explaining this pH level to you? What has this got to do with anything? But I want to talk about a different pH level this morning. The spirit is very serious in the eyes of God. Different pH factor. It's great and important to us. It's not acidic or alkaline. It stands for pride and humility. Okay. This will be the topic of our dis- uh, discussion. And I am preaching to myself this morning. If you look at me, uh, you can probably see me, and you should see a very prideful man. About 200 pounds of pride standing up here before you. It is, pride is a root of a lot of things. And spiritually, it's very negative. And I'd like to see what God, I'd like to discuss with you how God views pride and how he views humility. So before we go any further, let's uh, all humble ourselves, put ourselves in the high H level. And I myself as well. So I am preaching to myself, but let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our time. Lord, we thank You for the great God You are. You have sovereignly saved sinners, and we have nothing to offer but our our sins to You, and yet You have saved us. As Adam testified, that I pray that that we would not be self-reliant, that we would depend on You and trust You, Lord, make all of us small so you could be great. I pray that you would reduce me to the level that I ought to be so that you would be great this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Old Testament, we're talking about what is pride. In the Old Testament, we see pride as, another synonym for pride is lifting up, Highness, magnification, presumptuousness, or even rebellion. In the New Testament, there are two categories this goes into. It's one that suggests someone who's straining their neck, stretching their neck to be high, to hold up their heads high, because, especially because they have achieved certain status or they have accomplished something. But other, more serious implication is that it conveys the idea or suggests the idea of someone who is blind, blindness, or someone who is enveloped in smoke, who can't see too far beyond. 
you know, throughout the scriptures, we find proud people portrayed as being blind, as someone who has high view of themselves. Blinded by their pride of God's truth. In most cases, scripture portrays a prideful person as being evil, not trustworthy. Other biblical symptoms for pride are conceit, boasting, arrogance, loftiness, presumption, haughtiness, being puffed up, scoffing, self-seeking. You know, why is it so difficult for us to submit? Submit to even governing authorities? Our bosses, our supervisors at work, our teachers, our parents, our spouse, or even elders. Why is the root of these things that is pride? You know, the funny thing about pride is it's all about yourself. Right? All about yourself. You know, if you commit other sins, if you covet, let's say, a car, and you work for it, you idolize it, you work for it, you have a car. At least you have a car. Not that that's great, but at least you have a car. But pride, all it does is just puff you up. You have, you have nothing. And the funny thing is, there's no crown. Men hate pride. Men hate to see other proud people. Men despise other proud people. But we want to be proud, Right? No one respects a proud man. No one likes a proud man. No one wants to have dinner with proud men. Right? Even menial slaves, Scripture talks about, they hate a proud master. So what is this pride thing that makes us want to be proud, but everyone else despises it, especially God? One definition that I read this week was mindset of self. Focus on self and service of self, a pursuit of self-recognition, self-exaltation, desire to control, and use all things for self. I've said self there about seven times. It's all about self. Simply, I like to give a more simple definition in my opinion, is self, pride is self-idolatry, self-worship. No one else worships that except yourself. Right? No, none of us worship a proud man. We despise proud men. We do that to ourselves. Pride, here's an important point. Pride is one of the most despicable sins in God's eyes. Probably the most. Stuart Stuart Scott said this, a person who's prideful, who believes that they in of themselves are should be the source of what is good, right, and worthy of praise. They're taking all Christ's glory right there in that one statement. Let's ask ourselves again. Where does anger, bitterness, hate, covetousness, unforgiveness, and ultimately unbelief, unbelief of God of the universe and Christ who saved men from sin, where does that come from? Where's the root of all that? It is pride. You know, we have to ask ourselves, even this. Let's go down even, drill down even further. Okay, Let's make it really real here. If we ask ourselves, I'll never do drugs, I'll never cheat on my taxes, never have physical intimacy before marriage, never get involved with pornography, never abuse my children physically, or even your spouse, or say, I'll never get divorced, 
If we make these statements, these are all because of pride. Because we are depraved sinners, like Adam said. We have nothing but our sins to give. And we are all capable of this. And we say we are beyond this? Absolutely not. Right? We should be careful. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We need to be careful when we make these statements. You know, pride, I said, is one of the most despicable sins. Perhaps pride is the most malformation or the monstrous thing in creation. There's nothing good or lovely in it. There's no positive aspect of self-pride. Nothing. It is completely anti-God, anti-pure, or anti-holiness. The strongest statement I've read this week was by Charles Spurgeon. says this of pride. Pride is the firstborn of hell. Pride is the firstborn of hell. That makes a pretty strong statement, right? You know, pride, man, loves being being made much of self rather than Christ. Remember in Matthew 23, you see leaders of Jerusalem in a place where they love to be in place of honor in banquets, in the highest chief seat, in the synagogue, being respected by people out in the open in the marketplace. That's what it is. You know, people, question is not, I hope none of us are here this morning saying, do I have pride or not? That's not the question, right? Do I have pride? That's not the question. Its question is, where is it? And how much do you have? Right? Andrew Murray said, the pride is the root of every sin and evil. I think it's true. All sin begins from pride. It is the beginning of every sin and lies behind every sin. And the biggest offense probably is pride opposes the very existence of God. That's the root cause of unbelief, right? It challenges God. Pride is the basis for its existence. The basis of its existence is a view that there is no God at all. Every time we exercise pride, we are challenging authority and sovereignty of God. Pride has to neglect God in order for it to exist. God, humility, pride, and evil, two things. It's like oil and water. Can't mix and cannot occupy your heart at one point in time. It cannot. Puritan Thomas Watson said this, pride seeks to ungod God. I think that brings it home for me. Pride seeks to ungod God. Watson also said this, it is spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into your brain and intoxicates it. It is idolatry. It's self-worship. Psalm 10.4 says, A wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God. All his thoughts, there is no God. It is truly amazing that God even saved us. Because we were, in our unbelief, we un-God, God. But even as redeemed creatures, we still have pride. So what is this source of pride? Where does it come from? What is its origin? It's very simple. We all know the, this is 
question of where is pride in our heart? Heart of every man. It is part of our depravity. You know, this is one thing that's dangerous. The most threatening thing about pride is to our church. You know, I don't worry about some ministers coming, false teachers coming. You know, I don't think false teachers will last too long by God's grace in this church. Okay. I think things will get a little physically violent if false teachers came. I fear for their lives. Okay. I don't worry about that. We have some tough guys and we could throw bodies at them and they'll be taken care of, right? But James and I often talk about what we do worry about. What keeps us up at night when we think about our church is this very thing. It's pride. Once pride seeps into men who stand behind this pulpit, the ministers of this church, game is over. I told James, once you become a prideful man, game's over. You know, we talk about some you know, spiritual giants like John MacArthur's, R.C. Sproul's, John Piper's. You know, it is, must be very, very difficult for them to keep humble. They write books. They have thousands coming every day. People praising them. Right? I worry about James. We have about less than 200 members in, of people praising him. They have thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You know. But it is in our pride. That's why, and it is in our heart. That's why it's so dangerous. When we are respected, admired, and adored, that's a challenge to all men, even the godliest men. So I seek your prayers that ministers of this church would be humble before men and God. I think by God's grace, we can put down pride, but it has to work in our hearts. That is the the main source. I want to talk about a couple other sources. One circumstantial and one attitude. One circumstantial source of pride is prosperity or blessings from God. So even the greatest things at church, being a minister of God, can be a dangerous thing. Even the blessings that God gives you, God gives you, allow you to have a great education, maybe a great job, you're prospering, you're in great position. God allows you to have a great income. There's nothing wrong with that. God blessed you. But you give a man wealth and sometimes a success, most successful and godliest merchant, we can become a sickness if pride comes in. And David said that, right? In my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Was David moved? Yes, he was. Did he fall? Yes, he did. So dangerous aspect of pride, it creeps in even in the best things of our lives. We could have pride in our family, in our ministry, right? many things like that. It comes through achievement, comes through our academic achievements, career positions, church position. Even blessings from God can be converted to support the sin of our pride in our hearts. So we need to be careful of that. We need to thank God and remain there. The other attitude, uh, other source of sin, which is attitude-wise, is not taking sin seriously. Making light of this vicious foe. You know, when we are first converted, you see, sometimes you meet a young Christian who has just come to the Lord. They're cautious. They ask you a lot of questions. They want to kind of tiptoe through things. They want to make sure they're doing right. Now, first, then, after that, you start 
prospering a little bit as a Christian. Your ministry gets larger. Your influence as a church gets larger. People respect you. People talk about you. People say you're blessed by you. Then what, do we, what happens? It's like confidence sets in. Self-reliance sets in. Self-dependency. Less dependent upon God. Then it is a ripe situation for sin to occur. Pride sets in. There are dangerous things. So let's talk about the next is the consequences of pride. What are the consequences of pride? What does the Bible say? The Bible says why? God resists the proud. God is opposed to the proud. More than anything else, I think, God hates human pride. One commentator wrote that when, when you say God resists the proud, God opposes the proud, it's that God is in a posture of war against the proud. That's how strong the statement that resistance is. It's like someone is attacking God is standing pat. You are going no further. That's one battle you don't want to get into, right? None of us want to get into. Because there's a dangerous warning. We see in Isaiah 2.11, The eyes of the arrogant man will be humbled and proud man will bow down low. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Surely he will not be unpunished. God, is, God hates pride. We should hate pride in ourselves. Well, what is the biggest downfall of pride? Those are strong statements in the scriptures. It says in Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and humility goes before honor. Proud man, the consequence of pride is destruction. A fact that we can prove that in hundreds of instance, instances in the scripture. Men who are proud, pr- um, proud, who have pride, destruction will follow. It's like we saw a couple of hurricanes come through past few weeks in the East Coast, right, from the Caribbean. What comes before the hurricane? Big clouds come in, wind starts to blow, and the hurricane moves in. It's just like that. If you're, you see pride, destruction will follow. God's anger will follow. It's promised in Scripture. God does not lie, right? When, when hurricane gets ugly, when the winds are blowing 100 miles per hour, it's ripping houses down and kept, um, destroying cars, bringing down electrical lines. Sometimes even it kills. Pride is a prelude to destruction. For Spurgeon says, destruction walks through the land. It casts before it a shadow of pride. We learned in our midweek Bible studies, Adam said he was blessed by Genesis, and I have been too, and many of you as well. We see pride. Can it spoil Eden? God's creation? The greatest things, a perfect world? In the shape of a serpent? It unseated what God did. Remember David's aching heart? Man after God's own heart. Destruction came. When he felt the power from his, the pride of being the position that he was, the strength that he had, he used that to kill and murder a man so that he could take his wife for his own. 
That's pride. That's arrogance. And arrogance and haughtiness, pride is despised by God. It is to despise God's sovereignty, challenge God's sovereignty. That's why unbelief stems from pride as well. It's a direct relationship, unbelief and pride. John Piper says, unbelief is turning away from God in order to seek satisfaction in other things. Pride, turning, pride is turning away from God to take satisfaction in itself. Same concept. This attitude of self-determination, self-exaltation, self-fulfillment. You know, when we're sharing the gospel, OC team, you guys share the gospel, and many of us who are sharing the gospel each day, we're not fighting unbelief. In, in the core, when we get down to the heart, when we get down to the nitty-gritty, we are fighting, fighting the battle of pride. The pride has to be destroyed before God's gospel message goes forward. You know, my fellow saints, destruction comes in our lives. It comes, may come in good things before we have pride in it. The comforts that we come, that we have, if we're not humble, there will be destruction. There will be destruction. Now I want to talk about foolishness of spiritual pride. It's like, you know, there's a joke, right? This is a real bad joke, but what's the worst kind of nation? Procrastination, right? Worst kind of nation as well as procrastination. Worst kind of pride is spiritual pride. You know, I think God made us to be boastful beings, right? I think God, when He created us, we need, we, He created us to boast in something great. I think He was supposed to, He created us, and we were supposed to boast in God. In His creation. In all of His power and might. Yet, when sin entered the world, when we became tainted, it made everyone Rather than boasting in God, boasting of themselves. Due to sin, so due to sin, spiritual pride is over and high conceit of self, excellencies of self, which we discover the disdain and contempt for others and ultimately God. Now we see Christ, what did he do in his three years of ministry? What did he condemn? Most of all, he condemned the religious leaders of Israel because of what? Their haughtiness and their pride. So I want to talk about two aspects of spiritual pride. Number one, sense of spiritual superiority over other Christians and other churches. And I and myself are just as guilty as anybody else. You know, we all have been saved by grace we have nothing to be proud of, especially in the doctrine of our view of Scripture, our sense of, of blessing that God has given us. We are sinful, lowly beings, polluted creatures, infinitely, especially in comparison to our God, pure and holy God. What do we have to be superior over other people, other Christians? If anything, we have been humbled. We should be humbled by God's grace. That's what Scripture tells us. Without divine grace, we'd still be lost and considered among the condemned. Let us be humble. We have no ground spiritually to be proud of in comparison to other Christians or other churches. 
We have no grounds to be spiritually or doctrinally superior to other people. Let's be humble rather than being prideful. Let's be thankful rather than being judgmental in this area. Let's have compassion on them. And do you feel you to be blessed at Cornerstone? Then let's be thankful instead of being prideful about that. That God had grace upon us. It's all by God's grace. Secondly, sense of spiritual accomplishment. Spiritual accomplishment. Especially when you are recognized, touched upon this earlier, recognized by other people. People praise you for good things you do. But the dangerous thing is that when pride sets in, we start believing in these things. And we do start doing things to be recognized. It's a fear of man thing setting in. It creeps in. Then what happens is we depend upon those adorations and praises. And when we don't get them, then what happens? We get angry. We get disappointed. Bitterness sets in. You know, humble person understands grace. Proud person understands his achievements. Right? A lot of times this comes in and we judge, in a spiritual sense, we judge others by our spiritual strength. Some of us, have, God has gifted us to speak. God has gifted us to serve. God has gifted some people to sing. Some people administer. Just various different things. But some of us are weak in some areas. All of us are weak in some areas. Some of us just as weak in more areas than others. Some of us are stronger in some areas than others. More areas than others. All by God's grace. But we see life. We judge other Christians, especially brothers and sisters, through the strings but through the lenses of our own strengths. Sometimes, as speakers, sometimes we judge man by his ability to speak. And that is wrong. That's pride. Some people judge other people by different means. The the right attitude that we need to have, or should have, in terms of pride and humility, is that, that God has, whatever we're able to do, it's all for God's glory, and God has graced you and blessed you to do that. And does not give you a license to judge others by that. What instead, what we should have is be thankful and pray for that other person. Because only difference is between you and me and any two people or groups of people is that God had grace upon that particular area of your life and other people in God's own sovereign plan that hasn't perhaps yet. And But God can be glorified through every one individual here as much as anybody else. Because it's all by God's grace. You don't know what they'll become. Right? Even Peter Smith, when he was 18, like some of you, or 20, 21, he's not, he wasn't the man that he is now. But when you saw him 18, you probably didn't, most people probably didn't realize what he was going to become. Some of you one day may be up here, leading missions team, leading a country, perhaps into salvation. Maybe some of you will be in Asia. Some of you will be in Kazakhstan. All parts of this world are leading a crusade for Christ. We don't know that. That's all in God's timing. It's all by God's grace. Therefore, let's be thankful for what God has graced us with and not be judgmental. Instead of being critical, pray for that brother or sister. Spur them on. 
spur them on to do greater things for Christ. But it'll happen according to God's time. So we need to be spiritually cautious when we're praised by other people. Especially those of us who are teachers and leaders who receive often the praise of man. You know, John Piper wrote a paper about fighting pride. He said this, I prayed that my eyes of my heart would see biblical truths for what they are. I asked God to make me not just see them, but also feel them with sense of meekness and lowliness and brokenness. I renounce the desire for praise and notoriety and esteem when I see them rising. I strive to cultivate a joy in Christ and His wisdom and power and justice and love that is much more satisfying than any pleasures of human praise. And he said he meditates upon this, which I'll pitch upon a little later. 1 Peter 5, 5, 7. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but grace gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. You know, therefore, whatever God allows us to accomplish, let's be grateful, grateful to him. At the same time, those people who are struggling, they're walking their Christian life with the limp, they may have a prior sin that they committed. Maybe never be able to preach again and teach again. But serving, maybe serving coffee. Let's pray for those people. Those, everybody in the body of Christ belongs to the body of Christ. That God would have grant them grace. For more so, we should have compassion instead of being haughty about that. Right? More so, we should have compassion. So we talked about pride for a long time. The rest of the time, I want to focus on its remedy. Praise God, there's a remedy for pride. There's all that replacement theory. We need to replace that with what? The pure and holy God gives us, allows us to have humility. You know, humility is not a popular human trait in the modern world. You search barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com, you write, you look for books on humility, very few. Probably only Christian books, very few. Okay? If you look for self-esteem books, you know, self Help books, how to look good, diet books, you know. There's tons of them. Your, you got, your matches will be, you know, astronomical. But remember when I said destruction walks through the land and casts a shadow of pride prior to it? Spurgeon also said this of that. It says, when honor visits man's house, it casts a shadow before it and is in the form of humility. Before honor... There's humility. You know, one might even say, to take that little one step further, humility follows God like a shadow. Right? Humility and God goes together, and in this world, it's disappearing very fast. There's no shadow of humility or God. What is humility? It is the enemy of pride. Pride cannot coexist with humility. It's an endangered species now, endangered virtue. It's unnatural to man. It starts with brokenness of your heart, our hearts. James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As opposed to pride and destruction, humility promises grace. James 4, 10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, that he will exalt you. God will exalt a humble man. 
Stuart Scott defines it as in the mindset of Christ, a servant's mindset, focus on God and others, pursuit of recognition and exaltation of God, desire to glorify and please God in all things, by all things he has given. It's thinking rightly of self, who has, we have nothing that we have to give but our sins, and we have been saved by grace. Humility gives a sense, uh, sense of no power, no worthiness. It begins with subordination to Christ. One who is humble leans on our God, relies on His sovereignty, exalts Him. And nothing, and very, nothing the less, less than nothing of ourselves. It's self-annihilation, and it's the exaltation of Christ. You know, but one thing about humble man, he's not a timid man, you know, quite to speaks quietly like this and all afraid, you know, not to stand up. Humble man does not mean he's a timid man, he's a courageous man. David, David before he fell, as a young man who saw Goliath cross the Kidron Valley, called out that nine feet giant and challenged him. Now, he was a humble man, but a courageous man. Courageous boy at that time, right? You know, proud men, when tested, they will bow and save themselves because the source of their pride is themselves. But a humble man who knows that he is from God, that all his power and strength and who he is as a creature and being comes from God, will uphold his master's honor and put his life on the line because he does not think his life is worthy, that his, his only interest is the interest of his master. Therefore, he will stand boldly and go forward. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were humble men. They didn't think their life much of themselves. They only thought of their sins. Those of you got emails from Reuben this week. Kazakhstan passed a law of you need to have pre-registered religious meetings. Now when I got that email, oh, it's great timing, right? Right before our team leaves. I wish that came right when they were leaving for the airport or something. And I was thinking, maybe, I, do I give them a way out? This, you know, to tell them, hey, if you want to drop out now, drop out now. But I had met with them on Tuesday, had dinner with them, uh, prayed for them, tried to send them off uh, to each man or woman. Not afraid, they're going forward. They all trusted the Lord. And more reason to trust the Lord, right? I told them this. You know, what's the worst thing you do? What they do is they arrest you and deport you. I told them, if you get deported out of Kazakhstan because you proclaim the gospel, I'll pick you up myself at the LAX and buy you dinner. Right? I want to see all six of you on the plane getting kicked out of Kazakhstan. Right? Have your face, your mugshot in the airport. They won't let you in again. Okay? Don't have pride in that, but praise God for that. But the wonderful promise about humility, there would be honor. Proverbs 18.12 says, But destruction is the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Proverbs 22.4, Reward of humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. 1 Peter 5.6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. A good man may have honor in his life. The most honorable man in the church is a man who is willing to be the doormat, to be humble. God honors them. Daniel was honored before his people. Joseph rode second chariot to the Pharaoh. People bowed before him. 
those who have humility will have honor. We should know that we had nothing to offer. The fact that we lived in a humble, um, fallen state had only sins to offer. When we are are proud, we should consider the salvation. Eternally, that God has given us was no nothing to be grasped but on our own. God offered it. He gave it to us in His own good pleasure. Have we considered the fact that we have been adopted to His family, that we have been justified by faith alone, which God had given us? Have we considered the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, who carried the cross, experienced the death of all deaths, came upon the crossroads of hell's destruction and to redeem us from God's wrath? Shouldn't we be humble? You know, when we are humble, we are focused on God. We don't need, there's no need to be recognized by men. We don't need, need to be in competition with others. The goal of a humble man is to elevate God and encourage others to do the same. Humble man freely confesses his nothingness and deems himself unworthy of anything. We should have the motto and live the motto of John the Baptist that he may increase, so I must decrease. And lastly, of humility, we can't go any further talking about humility without speaking of the greatest example, the greatest example of humility, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. Humility is one of the excellencies of Christ. The highest form of character is to be Christ-like. To be humble is to be Christ-like. You want to be more Christ-like? Be humble. There's nothing more that is Christ-like. Philippians 2, 6 8 who, although he exists in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Jesus was meek and lowly. He knew when to be firm, when to rebuke for God's glory. He was truly humble at heart. He was a model of complete submission to the Father's will. Even though he himself was God, he devoted his rights. He forewent his rights to glorify the Father. We see in John 13 the greatest display of his humility. God himself washed the feet of man, of his disciples. Display of humility. The lowly disciples, lowly sinners, Peter, who was full of pride, right? When Christ prophesied that you will deny me three times, he said, oh no, my Lord. God is God of salvation. God provided salvation for the unsavable like you and me. And if you don't know Christ, it is because of your pride. But you still have hope. Because many of us here, God has allowed us to overcome pride in His own power. No, even though, no, even as Jesus was born at the appropriate time and died His substitutionary death, in the exact time He will return one day. Just as I promised that Christ will return, God will honor a humble man. 
So it's just as applications, just three points to um, offer to you. What do we, should we strive for? What are the qualities of a humble man we should strive for? Okay, number one, I think James touched upon this a couple of weeks ago. One who is teachable, a good listener. Okay, a teachable person knows his he's fallible, and he considers criticism and learns from them. They are thankful when they're reproved, rebuked, because re- rebuke is good for them. He's one who does not, uh, who knows he has blind spots. He considers himself instruction and correction of blessing. In Jeremiah 13, God says to his people, I will destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who will walk in stubbornness of their heart. The pride doesn't obey, right? Does not listen to wise counsel. Does not see, seek wise counsel. Do not submit to them. Does not want to hear them. But a teachable person will seek wise counsel. This person is it subordinate. When the word of God is spoken, he listens, he submits to the elders and other spiritual leaders. He'll get wise counsel from other older men and women who have walked the Christian life a little bit longer than many and them, themselves and considers them. You know, there's a movie, I can't remember a movie in date, I don't know what the title of the movie is, but John Cusack. He's sitting, one scene is, they're sitting on a curbside with about four of his friends on a Friday night talking about girls and dating. He's talking to them while John Cusack's character says, listen, Hey, if you guys so much know so much about girls and dating, why are you sitting here with me on a curbside on a Friday evening? You know? And we said, James said this at the breakfast. He said, worst counsel you listen to on dating is your friends. Right? Worst counsel you listen to. Listen to wise older men. Seek them out. Sometimes they're a little scary, but they're godly men. Believe in Christ that's in them, right? Right? So on a side note, you know, whether they're older men, elders, or other pastors here, men and women, or women, if they have godly qualities, if, if, they're, if he or she is respectable, trustworthy, decide that by examining their lives. Right? Even us. Don't listen to me because I'm an elder in this church. Examine my life as an elder and decide whether it is worthy of listening. Is, it, is my wife, my life, or my wife, as well, or anybody here, our pastors, leaders, your flock shepherds, see if they're respectable. Do they have godly qualities that you want to pursue after? Then if they do, listen to them. Don't decide not to listen to them, listen to them, because you don't like it. Listen to them. Test their life. You have seen people's lives. Some of you have known me for 20, 25 years. Right? You have seen my life. You could choose to listen to them, listen to me or anybody else. Test their life. See what Christ is doing. Are they growing? Are they humble? A teachable person will receive reproof and rebuke in a God-honoring way. And thank that person. Thank God for reproving them. them. And that person is truly, inwardly humble. 
Second one is one who's not anxious. And this really close, hits closely to home. And Adam talked about giving, genuinely trusting God. And at the end of 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. I love this text because, as I talked about Peter earlier, right? Peter was all about pride. He wrote this. One of the ways is to be humble, if you take from this text, one of the ways, one of the best ways to be humble is to cast all your cares upon him. One who could do that is a humble man. That's how you clothe yourself with humility. It's a connected yourself, a sentence. Humble yourself by casting all your cares upon him, your anxieties. Do you have discontentment in your life? Do you have discouragements? Financial issues? Difficulty at work? Are you considering resigning or quitting? Do you have troubles in your family, in relationship? Marital issues? Lift these up to God. Another great way to cast this and be humble about this is to casting upon God and be humble enough to ask other saints to pray for you. To share your sorrow, share your difficulty, so that other brothers and sisters can be on your knees for you. If you're so proud to share your worries, you've got to overcome your pride first before you go any further. Because there's joy in praying for others. Sometimes when you're going through troubles, it's a joy for me in a way, because I could pray for you. And I hope you're encouraged by that. When others, I know that someone comes up to me and I've been praying for you, I'm encouraged by that. Three years ago, when I was in the hospital bed, this brother came and brought a picture of Cornerstone Bible Church of that time, and they said, showed my wife that every, all these people are praying for you. It encouraged me. I was like half unconscious, but I remember <laughs> encouraging me. You know, pride is at the root of our anxieties. Trusting God is the essence of humility. Shepherding your hearts to be humble because He cares for you. That's a great promise. Lastly, one of the qualities of to be a humble man, a humble person, is one who is self-forgetful. Okay, that's an interesting statement, right? Self-forgetful. Not preoccupied with self. Not for our benefit but others, and ultimately for God. Not self-seeking, not desiring self-recognition, approval of men, not jealous of what others are receiving, not self-focused, not self-willed, or stubborn, or inflexible. You know, a truly humble man is inflexible in nothing. Only exception would be in reference to the Word of God. The humble man is not mindful of his rights. He always lives in God's perspective. In all circumstances, whether good or bad, we know all things happen to us in God's sovereignty. And he trusts in that. A self-forgetful man is patient, especially with people, especially in difficult circumstances. He understands God is working in every individual, including ourselves. He understands long-suffering. That everything happens in, according to God's own time. You might be in a difficult circumstance today. 
Difficult marriage today. You have difficult, unbelieving parents today. Difficult bosses today. But understand, God has put you in that position that we humble ourselves before our God and those who are authorities that are over us and willing to long-suffer and persevere. He understands that humble perseverance will glorify God. Prideful man may be long-suffering as well, but he does it so that he can be glorified. How about those of us who are maybe kind of self-pity, self-absorbed, all these things are going wrong, what's going on? Kind of get down on themselves. Even depression is pride. Not understanding that God has put you in that position to glorify Him. Because the focus is self, not God. You know, one who is caught up in self-pity is one who is not thankful and lacks contentment and always considers that he or she got the raw end of the deal. You know, I think a man that is under the influence of the humble spirit, I mean, humble Holy Spirit, is content in any situation and is satisfied with God what he has allowed him under any and all circumstances. As I said earlier, Christ was the greatest example of humility. Here's a good human example. I don't know, some of you probably know this later on, but Horatio Gates Spafford lived with his wife and four daughters in Chicago. And he was a lawyer by profession, a devout Christian, who was an elder at a Presbyterian church. He did farewell to his wife and family for uh, Europe. And few, some time later, his wife and his four children, four daughters, were on the ship. In the mid-Atlantic, it collided with another ship. His wife, Anna, and his four daughters, Maggie, Tanera, Annie, and Bessie, were on the ship. By God's grace, Mrs. Stafford was able to get away. Before the ship sank, she prayed with her four daughters and entrusted them to the mercy of God. Unfortunately, a lifeboat uh, Mrs. Stafford was on was rescued. And she, when she got to Europe, she wrote a telegram message that said, Saved alone. Her four daughters passed away. And this news struck Mr. Spafford with full force, understandably put him in deep sorrow. He left to go to the side of his grief-stricken wife. He was a friend of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He was, at the time, he was in England a personal friend, so he went down to see them to comfort them. And he found his friends in real, actually very surprisingly, high spirits, strong in the faith, with tears in their eyes. And he said, it is well. God's will be done. This is the song he wrote. It is well. He wrote the hymn after losing his daughters. And the words of the song as you all know, when the peace like a river attendeth my way, my sorrows like a sea billows roll, wherever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan buffet me, though trials should come, lest this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, that has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, 
with my soul. It is well with my soul. Look at the last line. It says, Christ has shed his blood for my soul. Here's a man who understands humility. You know another interesting fact about Horatio Spafford? Three years before this, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. He went to have two more daughters. He founded a ministry with D.L. Moody with his wife and devoted rest of their lives to serve the poor. Great example of humility. Great example of humility of man. So in conclusion, let's, I pray, I exhort you as I exhort myself and shepherd my heart, and I hope you do the same, that we pray that everyone here would be brought down to be the lowest of lows, that we would be honored by God and not into destruction. Now MacArthur says, Humility creates a vacuum that divine grace fills. When we see ourselves rightly in reference to God and others, God will honor us. God will allow us to shine. Remember, putting on humility is not a one-time thing. Pride does not die once. It must die daily. Getting humble is, is, not, is one thing that we must keep humble each day, experiencing through God's grace. But before men and God, that I pray that when we are wronged by a co-worker, our family members, or even brothers and sisters in Christ, by our children, our parents, our husbands or wives, when we have been, feel that we have been wrong, let's remember, as this man who lost his four daughters, remember, that Christ shed his blood for us, that he has given the grace of life, that we have deserved none of these blessings, even our children. Let us humble ourselves so that God could honor us. And one more, for those of you who came this morning, I'm sure there's some of you out there with great anxieties, great troubles awaiting you, difficulties in life, perhaps financial issues, marital issues, family matters. As God desires, we have the promise of God if we cast our anxieties upon Him and humble ourselves, God will honor us. Trust that promise and I pray that we would clothe ourselves in humility and, and die of pride each day so that Christ can be exalted in your lives and the life of this church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise for your word and your promise. We thank you, God, because we deserve none of what we have. We were despicable sinners who have only been saved by grace. Only those have been imputed the righteousness of Christ with no righteousness of our own. I pray that you would give us and you would grant us the heart to be humble, to strive to be humble, to kill pride in our lives so that Christ can be exalted. Help us to remember our Savior who has shed His life for us so that we can be granted life throughout and hope through eternity. I pray for those of us who came here with great anxieties this morning that we may cast our cares upon Him and that, that we would be humble before You and man. We thank You, God, for Your Word. We thank You for Your promise. 
in Jesus' name I pray.